0: Well, just sitting here for this uh brief second, I learned that both Marilyn and Joe have the best seats in the house because the sun is just nice and warm, shining on them. And so uh, if you would like to move into the sunny space, I'm gonna start selling them at a premium, just like the airlines do. And if you would like, uh, y- all you have to do is just fill out your tithe envelope and just put a couple extra zeros on the end. I'm just to- totally kidding. But I am I will say this I am very thankful for your generosity to to the Lord and to the giving that you do towards our church and it allows us to do things like missions trips, it allows us to do things like meet on Sunday mornings it allows us to uh, have the opportunity to hire a pastor in this case myself to uh, encourage you to equip you and to see uh, God use you in incredible ways and I believe that God wants to use you more than you can even know and as Ephesians says more than you ask or imagine and so So, if you are wondering what God could possibly do with your life I'm wondering the same thing too because I've seen some of you at your worst and I just got to tell you (laughs) not too many people say amens on that one I gotta say, even at your worst, some of you are still looking pretty good, but no matter what, even at your worst, I believe God can still use you, and I believe God wants to use you, and God wants to do incredible things through you. But before we could ever get there, we have to have something happen first. We have to have God do something to us on the inside we got to trust that God's not only going to use us for something great, but He's going to actually transform us on the inside. And as we serve, as we do the things that He wants us, He calls us to do, the incredible opportunities, not only does it help someone else, benefit someone else, but it changes the heart on the inside. And so we want to look towards these next few weeks, um, pretty well up to Easter with a few breaks in between, of just focusing on that transformation. Uh, God, it's not about who you, what you want me to do or where you want me to go. Those things are important, but who do you want me to be? Now, the question that arises, how can sinful people like Jim be made right with a holy God? Oh, sorry. I meant to say Gary. Sorry, Jim. How can sinful people like Gary fill in the blank, put your name in, be made right with a holy God? We talked about God, we sang about him this morning, we lifted him up, we put God higher than all other things, where he belongs. He's not not an idol to be worshipped, but he is to be worshipped and he is to be praised. Because he's not an idol because he's actually alive. You know, we can have all kinds of symbols, we have a cross here to remind us of our salvation, we have all of these things, but we don't worship the cross itself. We worship the man who lived and died on that cross and came back to life. We don't worship the idols, we worship the God. And how can we be made holy with a God who's so right and so righteous and so pure? What can we as mere mortals do to appease the anger in the, of God and the justice of God? How do we deal with who we are in order to do the things that God has called us to do? The question is central to who we are as believers because... As believers, as Christians, as the church, we know and we hold the answer to those questions. How can someone be made right before God? And we know that there's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that you and I, that we together could do to appease the anger of God. There's nothing that we can do to be made right before God. And so you say, Pastor Gary, why are we sitting here then? If it's no, no good, it's no good. We can't do anything about it because I'm here to tell you that someone has done the work for you. I mentioned his name already. His name is Jesus. He's already done the work for you. He's already taken the punishment for your sin for you. It's that Simple. It's that easy of a gift. And so, as we look at the fact that Jesus has taken this punishment of sin for us, He's made us right before God, what is now our responsibility? Our responsibility is to admit the fact that that is true, to confess with our mouths that we need Jesus to be our righteousness, and to walk in faith and to walk in the Spirit. You know, one of the, the best verses, my favorite verses I come back to is 1 John 1 9. And it says, What do I do? What do I do when, when I've sinned, when I've fallen, when I've made a mistake? What do I do? First John 1.9 says, I'm going to read it so I get it right. It says, when I confess my sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive me from my sin and cleanse me from all wickedness. Some translations say unrighteousness, but I like how it says wickedness. Because apart from Jesus, apart from God, I'm capable of anything. I feel like I could be like Superman. I could do whatever I want apart from God. I could do whatever makes me feel good, whatever path I want to take. I could do whatever I want. But when I confess my sin, he is faithful to forgive me and he is just to forgive me and to cleanse me, not only to leave me as he found me, not just to make, make me clean so I can make another mess. You know, my kids, we, we tried to clean the house yesterday and then they had breakfast this morning. So like we swept the floor and we got a sweep. So we didn't mop it, but we swept it all up. Guess what I had to do this morning after breakfast? Again, I had to sweep the floor. God doesn't just clean, clean us and send us back to do it again. No, He cleanses us and then He removes the wickedness from us. He begins a process of transformation. He begins to change us from the inside out, so we don't take the same steps that we took before. Has anyone here ever gotten stuck before? Maybe you're driving through the bush, you got stuck in the mud or something. Uh, Now, when you finally got out, did you go through that same spot or did you do it a different way? How many went through the same way and got stuck again? (laughs) Following Jesus is much like getting stuck in the mud sometimes. And we think, I'll just try it again and do the exact same thing that I always did before and end up with the same result. Isn't isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Insanity. Don't be insane. He is faithful and just to forgive us and he will cleanse you from all your wickedness. You don't have to go down the same path again. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, you can turn to Galatians, we're going to spend some time in there, but he says in 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, One of the keys to that verse is to recognize that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. My life is not my own. It is surrendered. It belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of Lord. We want to focus on the next few weeks on on, the, on how to live as Christ instructed, as Christ modeled, as he desired us from the beginning to be his holy people. God dwells in believers by the means of the Holy Spirit who empowers them to live lives for which God created them. The spirit produces in them what the law never could. You go to the Old Testament and you maybe Easter time, you watch the old movie with Moses and it's like four and a half hours long. And uh, you see Moses come down the mountain at the end of the movie, and they got the big golden calf, and he's got the tablets, he's got the Ten Commandments, and the do's and don'ts. And then you read through the law of the Bible, and you read through the law of the Old Testament, and all of these steps, trying to make yourselves holy before God, and yet we can never, ever succeed. The Spirit produces in us what the law never could. The Spirit produces in us what the law never could. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes. Those who are saved by faith will find that this faith is working in them to produce lives that are marked by God, that are marked by the love of God and one another. We're going to talk about a big church word. Can you say the word sanctification? Sanctification. Sanctification. Anyone ever heard this word before? Heard of this word? How would you define this word? Set apart. Set apart. How else would you define sanctification? Sanctification, yeah, a little bit set apart. I, I look at it as it's like the process of being set apart. It's the process of God at work in us. So uh, you, can, you can sort of liken it, not not that it's related, but I sort of think of, of marriage as the sanctity of love. So we're in love, we're going to get married. It's the process. The process of our love, we're getting married, showing off our married. That's sort of how I, I sort of have viewed it. Sanctification. We get saved the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I believe that. So no matter what I've done, no matter where I am, I make that decision to follow Jesus. I'm instantly saved. However, there's a process that takes place that, that requires me to continually surrender my life to him. And God is continually at work in me. Therefore, I'm no longer the same person I was 10 days ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, yesterday. I am a new creature each and every day because God is at work in me through his Holy Spirit. And that's what we want to get at today today. We know that we've been made right before God because of Jesus, but we want to continue to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. For as Paul said, I have been crucified with him. It's no longer I who lives, but who Christ who lives within me. God has saved us. How do we live out our salvation? What is this process look like? What are the steps that I need to take? What are the things that I need to do to live a life that is pleasing to God? And we are going to cover some of these things over the next few weeks. Believers, I believe, are children of God, and they share in the mind-blowing, abundant inheritance of the Lord. You know, when Jesus was baptized, and maybe you've read the story, you've heard the story, you've heard me say it before. He comes out of the water, there's a voice from heaven, and the voice from heaven says, Behold, this is my son, who I am well pleased. This is my son, who I am well pleased. And we, we ask the question, what? can we do about our sin problem? We can invite Jesus into our life to make us new again. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see the wickedness that is part of the flesh. He doesn't see the unrighteousness. If we've invited Jesus into our life, he doesn't see all of the sin that separates us. He sees his son who is well pleased. And so that's what makes me actually able to stand before you this morning because I have been saved by the grace of God. And God has called me because his son lives in me. And God is calling you and he's asking you, are you willing to receive from him today? God calls believers his beloved. They walk close, they walk deeply, and they walk in affectionate, committed love of their heavenly father. Abraham was called by God. He decided he he was told to leave his homeland. And he started walking in the desert and 40 years later, God finally spoke to him again. Could you imagine hearing from God, waiting 40 years before he spoke again, and being faithful to the command and promise of God? Could you imagine? How many here are, are old enough to actually remember 40 years ago? So, there's, so you know what it's like. Could you imagine, take that time for the rest of us that are, can't remember that long ago or don't exist. It's coming. Trust me, it's coming. It's coming. But think back those 40 years, if you had heard one word from God, do you think you would have been able to be faithful to that command, to that promise of God? It would be hard. And here we have Abraham. He gets an incredible promise. See, it's not about how many times God speaks to us. When we ask God to share it again, it's almost an immaturity on on our part. But when God gives us a word, it's a powerful word. When he gives us a promise, it's a promise that we can hold on to. I don't know what kind of of promises that have been broken to you in your life, but I know this is for sure. When God gives you a promise, he will always follow through. It's been proven time and time again. And so God gave Abraham a promise and he says to Abraham, he says, I am going to use you to create a holy people that will bring redemption and bring salvation to the rest of the world, to all the nations. And your descendants are going to number the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Has anyone ever gone down to our beach and counted all the sand particles? Anyone ever done it? I uh, I shared a picture with my father-in-law because he really likes astronomy and looking at the stars and, and, and everything. Uh, an incredible picture of, I can't remember the name of the galaxy now, but it was just this incredible, beautiful, crazy high resolution picture. Like you would need like, 60, 75-inch TVs to actually look at the whole picture is kind of just crazy. And the millions of stars that you could see. Just an amazing, beautiful uh, image of God's creation. Just, just overwhelming. And God gives this promise to Abraham. He says, I will make your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, is this literal? Is it, uh, what's the other word that's not literal? Just lost it. Should have put it in my notes. Figurative. Thank you, Frank. We don't know, but we know that the promise is good. And today, as believers, we, we share in that promise with Abraham. Because we are a result of his faithfulness. And we are a result of God's faithfulness. He was called by God and he was given a promise. He was given a seed. He said your seed would be like the numbers of the sand on the seashore. And, and do you know what happens to seed when it's planted? Typically, it grows. Right? It grows. And so uh, you're still in Galatians. You can go over to Galatians chapter 3, 7 to 9. And this is what, this is, let's just read the whole thing. That sounds good. We're there anyway. We got the time. We got the word, the word, the word, the Bible. Galatians 3. Understand then that those who have faith are called children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man Of faith, God planted the seeds thousands of years before today, before Paul ever wrote the letter to the Galatians. And Paul is speaking to the promise of God, revealing the faithfulness of God. And in a few, in a few short verses, if I could talk this morning, in a few short verses, we'll see the seed of Abraham and what God promised come to life in what we call the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. As Christians begin to live their lives that are transformed more and more into the image of Christ, there are certain characteristics that begin to show in the life. There are certain elements to our faith that begin to come, come alive. And every time one of those elements comes alive, it's the birth of the seed that God promised Abraham. Every time one of these characteristics come alive and become real inside every one of us, it's a moment. It's a moment where, where the promise of Abraham is fulfilled yet again. Uh, Now, Paul has written the letter to the church in Galatia for a very important reason. If you were to read through the entire book, which which wouldn't take you very long, he actually starts chapter three with the line, you foolish Galatians. Now, would you imagine if Pastor Gary stood up here, invited someone from our district office to come and speak with you, and they were to stand up here, get Pastor Laurie, he's our district superintendent, and he were to stand in front of you and say, Terrence Bay Gospel Assembly, you foolish church. How would that make you feel on the inside? I could see the anger on the outside of some of you if you were to say that. Now, sometimes we need people in our life. We need people in our life to tell us, hey, you're being a fool. And most of the time, maybe it's your spouse. But sometimes that's not the best option. We have to have people in our lives to help us make the right decisions. That's why he never calls the church to be the church alone. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And depending on the translation of verse you read, sometimes strength. And the second and equally as important is love your neighbor as yourself. The journey of faith is never meant to be lived alone. Uh, I have family who are Christians, but they just stay at home. They don't associate with any other believers How can you love God if you're unwilling to love the person sitting next to you? It's extremely, extremely important. And we need each other because iron sharpens iron. You can find that in another verse, escapes me. But we need each other. We need people to tell us to correct us sometimes. We need each other to help push us forward on the straight and narrow road. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians. A church that he loves, he cares for, and, and he's writing to them because they have seen and been the result of what happens when you have someone that doesn't speak the truth begin teaching other people. And so they have started to believe the lies. They have started to believe things that God had already dealt with. They started to preach things like back in the olden days of the law where you'd have to be circumcised to be a part of God's family. And and they were starting to push these things. And what it really came down to is that these few people were trying to take control over the church in Galatia. And then people would listen to them and they'd feel good about themselves because people were listening to them and they became leaders. And Paul is bringing the correction to them. And he's saying, look, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is the way that God desires for you to live. You foolish Galatians you should know better than that. You should know that God's grace is sufficient to cover all sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've made a mistake again. God's grace is sufficient if you would only surrender to him because why he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. He sees a real problem. He gives a powerful rebuke. He reminds them of the truth. He's not telling them to do something different. He's not telling them to go somewhere else. He's not telling them to put more rules and more laws in place. Because we can put rule after rule after rule after rule in place. And it might change our behavior, but it won't change our heart. Uh, we, we, we try to do this a lot, right? We we. We think, okay, well, we don't want people to do that, so we'll make a rule against it. And people, maybe they don't curse and maybe they don't swear because the rule is there, but how many have cursed under your breath before? Mom and dad said not to swear, but it's just... (laughs) That's not a heart change. It's just a behavior modification. God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And what Paul is going for, he's like, it's not about putting in more rules and more laws in place. We have enough of those. If we continue to raise the standard, the God's standard of of holiness, we will always fall short if we try to get there by rules. We will always fall short if we try to get there on our own. What does he want to have happen? He wants to see a heart change. And a heart change can only take place through the grace and the blood of Jesus. Paul suggests to us that a person's heart changes on the inside, and there is an outflow of goodness that follows. So if there's a change, then this will happen, cause and effect. If this happens, then this will happen. The outward changes, the outward, be- sorry, the inward begins to change the outward. You know, it's, it's just like the physical Right, if you if you were to eat a lot of junk food, and if you were to eat the entire birthday cake that I had last week, all in one shot, and then you eat another one the next day, uh, eventually you're going to show on the outside what you've put on the inside. Right? It's the same thing spiritually. What what you put in is going to come out. What you put in is going to come out. However, when there's a change that takes place, when when something happens. And in this case, when Jesus comes into your life and you willingly accept and receive from him, the thing that changes on the outside begins to have an effect on what comes out. Because what's on the inside becomes good, becomes holy, it becomes new and exciting. So Paul gives them this list. He says, if your heart has truly changed, if God has really, really done a work in you, these are the things that will begin to show up in your life. And in this case, the spiritual is affecting the physical as well. And so he goes over to Galatians chapter 5. And we'll read from 13 to 26 this morning. And this is where we're going to camp out for the next, next little while. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before. Notice that that line is important. He's been through this with them before. How many have had that conversation with mom and dad? We've talked about this. We've talked about this. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty intense word to share. Pretty intense letter to get. Imagine getting that in your email. You know, it's so easy with email, you just click delete. Uh Uh-huh, I'm not going to read that again. (laughs) That did not make me feel very good, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Go home, Paul. No, he doesn't end it there. He ends with good news, thankfully. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Does yours say patience or forbearance? Yeah, so same thing. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Wow, there's, there's a lot in there, which is why we're going to take a few weeks to go through it. We know that healthy things grow. Healthy seeds grow. Uh, Did you know that weeds grow too? You know, uh, you could get together the garden, you can sift all the soil, you can water it, you can fertilize it, you could do all of these things. And as your plants begin to grow, you can notice that there's weeds there. And you go, I didn't plant any weeds. Where did those weeds come from? Has anyone ever planted weeds in their garden? Anyone ever planted a garden and wonder why the weeds are there? You didn't plant them. How did they end up there? It's the same with our flesh. I swear I didn't put any weed seed in there. Maybe you did put some weed seed in there, and that's another story. It's legal now, so. But it's the same thing with us. You know, God, I, I tried to do good. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I did that. Why do I, want, I don't know why I want to do that. Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to say that? it's cuz we're all born with the big dark word of sin. We're all born with weeds. It's part of who we are. We can't help it. We can't help it. We can't we can't help but desire to do the things that are opposite of what God wants. It's it's part of the original sin. We're born with it. It's why we need Jesus. Romans Paul says in Romans he says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Not one person is born better than another. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter where you were born. doesn't matter what country you're from, what nationality you are, what culture you are. Every single person is born with sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's pretty depressing. However, it gets worse. The wages of sin is death. But it gets better. The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. We are born with a desire to follow our heart. You know, just listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Do what, do what makes you feel like you. Just do you, boo. Okay? Okay? You know, all we're trying to say, we're just trying to make people feel a little bit better. We're trying to help people along. But the reality is, is the heart can be deceived. Just like the garden, the weeds just show up. I didn't plant the weeds. They're just there. It's part of the problem that you have to deal with. I want to do right. I want to do good. I want to be a good person. I want other people to be a good person. I want there to be peace in the world, so on, so forth. But I just can't help it. I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Have you noticed it's really easy to do that in our culture now? You want to watch a TV show? Go ahead. Put it on Netflix. Oh, you, it's a cliffhanger. You want to see what happens next? I don't have to wait till next week. I don't have to wait till, you know, the summer is over and it's a summer break and I don't have to wait now. I can just watch the entire series all in one shot, instant, and I can, I can get it all at one time it's instant. However, following Jesus is totally different. Things happen quickly, but they happen over time. Jesus saves us instantly, but transformation takes time. It takes a long time to to work through the desires of the flesh and to know the voice of the spirit. God wants to change you. It's time for a heart transplant. God wants to change us. He wants to restore you, heal you, make you new again. Doesn't that sound like good news? Okay, here are my desires. I have these desires of my flesh to do the things that I want to do, but they're not pleasing to God. And yet God wants to give me a heart transplant. He wants to give me something to live for. He actually wants to give me new life. That's good news. He wants to change me, restore me, make me new again. He gave Jesus so we could live. It's not about necessarily what God wants you to do. It's not about where God wants you to go, but rather it's who God wants you to be. You know, we talked last week about prayer. The week before we talked about vision, where we want to go. Those are all really good, this and that. But the reality is it's about who God wants us to be. And as we, as we be who he calls us to be, he's going to tell us to go. And as we go, we're going to be the people he calls us to be. It's this endless cycle, this endless circle of getting closer and closer to God. It's this endless circle of transforming to become the image that God has desired us to be. The fruit tells us that God is more concerned with who we are than what we are doing. The very things that we just read in this list that you find on on this thing here that I took off my wall at home. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those aren't really things that you do. It's who you become. It's not about what you do. It's who you become. Paul gave us this list of characteristics to help determine where we stand with God. He sort of gave us this checklist. You know, it's, it's just like the boss looking over your shoulder. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do that? Yep, yep, yep. It's going through the process. And, and notice how it says this is the fruit of the Spirit. These aren't the fruits. Okay, multiple of us are fruits. Okay, some of us are. But together, it's, it's one. Not one is more important than the other, even though my fancy little sign here has love at the top. It's just really big. It's just a design thing. Uh, you can't have one without the other and walk in the Spirit of God. Uh, when we submit to the fruit of the Spirit we submit to every single one. So I can have love, but I can't have patience. Um, You can't have patience. Okay. So you cannot be impatient in your home, especially in parents, you get this. You cannot be impatient in your home. And when you're impatient, there's not going to be a lot of peace in your home. It's just a fact. So Sunday mornings when I'm trying to get the kids in the van and dressed and get their ponies in their hair and, 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 and everything else, it's just there's not a lot of patience and so there's not a lot of peace. You can't have one of these things without the other. It's not fruits, it is fruit. You can't have peace but not patience. All of these things working together from the heart form the heart of a believer. All of these things working together form the heart of a believer. It takes effort, it takes work, it takes intentionality, it takes strategy, but it's worth it all in the end because in the end we look like Jesus. In the end God looks at us not not only does he see his son, he sees us that have become just like his son. He transforms us into the way that he desired for us to look like from the beginning. I can give you the creation story where God took the time and he created a man and said it was not just good like everything else. He said it was very good. He made us in his own image to begin with. And somewhere along the way, we skewed the result. We skewed the end product. And God made a way so that we could become the people he first desired for us to be like. And yet, why is the battle so intense? Why is it so hard to do the things that are good? Why is it so hard to do the things that God has called us to do? It's because the flesh and the spirit have competing agendas. The flesh and the spirit have competing agendas, as we see in the non-exhaustive list that Paul writes for us, uh, it illustrates from Romans 4 or 7:14 to 25, the intensity of the battle. and he did not take it lightly. "We will fight with the flesh until the king." of Christ comes. It is an intense, it's an ongoing war. You know, some some people believe, even even denominations and churches are formed, they believe that if you could just live separate from the rest of the world, if you could live yourself separate from the cultural temptations, that you wouldn't have to deal with sin. You wouldn't have to deal with this problem. Now, what goes on will come out. What goes in will come out is, is simply not always true, because when it comes from within, you can't fight that by putting rules into place. So you can separate yourself. You could decide, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go here. I'm not going to associate with anybody else. Why is there still a sin problem? Why do I still struggle with this? Here's, uh, here's a, a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, "The problem, the problem is in here. It's in the flesh. And he, there was a newspaper article that said, uh, what's wrong with the world today? If we were to have that conversation, we could come up with a number of answers, I'm sure. His reply was simple. He said, what's wrong with the world today? He says, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. The church father, Jerome, described how removing oneself from the culture does not remove the temptation from one's heart. He says, this is a quote from him, early church father. He says, Oh, how I often imagined that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome when I was stationed in the desert in that solitary wasteland, which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it provides a dreadful habitat for the monks. I, who because of the fear of hell had condemned myself to such a hell who had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company. Often I thought I was dancing with a chorus of girls. My face was pale from fasting, but my mind burned with passionate desires within my freezing body, and the fires of sex seethed. He isolates himself, and he still finds himself struggling with the desires of his flesh. He still finds himself struggling, even though he's separate from everything else. No matter how much we try on our own, no matter how many things that we do, on our own, we will always, always fail because we need Jesus. We need him to come alive in us. Stop that. Hey, Chad, can you just unplug the white cable from the computer? I bet that'll do it. Look at that. So let's move into the first one today before we close. Before we send off to to our days today, um, We're going to talk about the first one in the list. You know, Paul says in Corinthians, he says, I can speak with the tongues of angels, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Um, If we don't understand love, I know I said they're all incorporated into one, but if we don't understand love, then I don't think we can get the rest of the fruit. So let's talk about love this morning. We're talking about Paul's writing, but John says this. Love is evidence that we know God. Love is evidence that we know God. You can find that in 1 John 4, 7 to 8. We know that Paul has told us about love and the great things in 1 Corinthians 13. You can read that later, the greatest chapter about what love is. And in Romans, he says that the Spirit has poured his love into us, Romans 5, 5. And Spirit-led believers express a sincere love for others and express their love to God who first loved them. So what's the, opposite, what's the opposite of love? Throw out some words to me today. Let's make this interactive. What's the opposite of love? Hate's a good one. That's a big one. The obvious one. What else would you say is an opposite to love? Or what's the opposite to God's love? Maybe that's a better question. Hate, fear. We don't really think of fear as an opposite, but if we're not in God's love, we even, we even sang it in our song this morning. So the next question is, how do we love? All right, so love is supposed to be there, and we could think of it a few ways, but Matthew 22, 37 to 40 says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So how do we love God? Start with love. Let's start with three things. How do we love? We love God, we need to love ourselves, we need to love others. Love God. How do we love God? We love Him with our heart, we love Him with our soul, we love Him with our mind, and in some translations, we love Him with our strength. Heart seems we talked about how deceitful the heart can be, but when we love God from our heart, it's like we're loving Him with our passion. I'm excited, I'm passionate. The things that I want are the things that God wants. The things that I do are the things that God does. I love God with my heart. I love God with my mind because I'm choosing to love God. I'm choosing to serve him. I'm choosing to honor him. I'm making a conscious decision to do the things that are pleasing to God. I love God with my heart, with my mind. I'm choosing to love God with my soul That's loving him from your innermost being to the core of who you really are. The part that God really begins to transform. He changes our heart, but he really does is he changes our inside. He changes us and makes us to be the people he's desired for us to be. And as he changes our heart, we begin to love God from our innermost being, from who we truly are. So that everything we do, everything that comes out of us as an outflow is honoring and pleasing to God in his sight. And then we love God, and some translations say, in our strength. We love God with our actions. Everything that comes out of us, we can't help it. If we, the first three are covered, no matter what happens, no matter what we do, when we put our hands to work, we're doing it in service for God. Finally, love yourself. He's made you new again. He sees value in who you are. You know, he didn't create each and every one of us to be unique, to be formed in our mother's womb, to be special, just so we could be thrown away and tossed away and not cared about. God cares for you. God actually, actually likes you. God actually loves you so much that he gave Jesus for you. He loves you so much that he actually gave you hope. And so I think it's so easy, especially today, a lot of times we have a hard time loving ourselves. To think that we're worthy, you're right. You know what? We're not worthy, but Jesus, you have made me worthy. Jesus, you have made me holy. You have made me worthy of your love, oh God. So love yourself. Finally, love others. Jesus gets asked the question, you know, he he says this verse love your neighbor as yourself. And so the people that are trying to trick him and say, hey, we're gonna get you, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because I know the guy sitting over there technically isn't my neighbor because he doesn't live next to me. And Jesus answers the question with a story. He, he, he begins to tell a story of the Good Samaritan. And if you've never read the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, if you want homework, that would be a good piece of homework for you to do today. But the story is simple. A man comes up from Samaria he gets, or he gets, he's on a journey, he gets robbed, he gets beaten, he's left for dead. Two people walk by him, they ignore him, they, they keep on going, they, they actually cross the road and go on the other side of the road, pretend they didn't see anything. And finally the Samaritan comes along, and, and the Samaritan is someone that no one likes because he's a Samaritan. He's, he's unclean, he's, he's not a real Jew, all of these things. We can talk about this another time. He looks at this man and he doesn't care what the what the culture says, he doesn't care what religion says, he doesn't care about what people say. He just sees someone that has a need, a desperate need. And he takes this man, he puts him on his horse or his donkey, he bandages him up and he takes him to hotel. He he leaves him at the hotel, he pays the man's bill and pays the guy that runs the inn, and he says take care of him, feed him, give him water, nurse him back to health. I'll be back in a few days to cover any expenses that you incurred along the way. But I want to see this man get well. Has no idea who he is. Complete stranger. Man slowly gets back and, and excuse me, gets better and healthier and, and stronger again. Samaritan comes back and pays whatever bills are paid and And finally, the man realizes he's saved by someone that he thought he hated. So when God says, love your neighbor, you ask the question, who's my neighbor? It's whoever you see in need. It's whoever you see next to you. It's anyone who is a human that can breathe. They're worthy of your love. (laughs) Sometimes it's easier to love a stranger than it is our enemy. Even the enemies are our neighbors. You know, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of grace on our part. It takes a lot of forgiveness to love our enemies, to love those who have hurt us, but they're people too, and God loves them just the same. We love others. When we learn to love our world, believe it or not, does become a bit of a better place. Our lives become a bit of a better place. First John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. This morning asked the question, what must I do? What must I change for me to love more? What must I do to assure myself that I am serving God? What must I do to allow his spirit and not my flesh to run free? You know, last week I, I gave you the hint. I kind of gave it away. The first, the first step is, is to take the model that Jesus gave us and to pray. Pray to God the Father because he's holy. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for healing. Pray for provision. But prayer is not just a one-time Thing. It's not just a ritual, something that we do. It's actually a conversation that builds a relationship. It propels the relationship with God forward. I told you my story. Elizabeth and I, we dated. We were long distance. Could you imagine in that long distance relationship? Okay, we know we're in a relationship. I'm just going to call you once. Okay, I'm going to call you once, and then we're going to get married in July. I'll talk to you then. I wouldn't be here today married with my wonderful kids, if that was the case. Prayer is not just a one-time thing. Take some time and spend that time with God. If you want him to begin to transform your life, if you want him to begin to transform you, to help you, to love, to show you how to love, spend some time with the one that knows how to love more than anyone else ever will. Begin to read the stories of his salvation and his redemption because his love covers all. His love is greater than all other loves. When we look at the greatest symbol of love, the cross that sits behind me on the wall, it reminds us just how much that God loved us, that he sent his own son for us. And if you're wondering how you should love someone else, just look at that example of sacrifice without expectations of return you know, not everyone's going to love you back, but he doesn't say, don't love the people that love you back. He just says, love your neighbor. If they're breathing, love them. God, forgive me of my sins. If you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so triggers the beginning of transformation in our lives. When you're willing to give into God to serve him, he never leaves you the same. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? I say it really boringly, but Isn't it so good to know that I don't have to be the same person that I once was? I don't have to be the person I was yesterday. You know, Monday's a great day because, you know, we're going to wake up. It's going to be the beginning of the week. We're going to have to go to work. Whatever. But a new week offers a chance for a fresh start. You know, you can be in the middle of the week and God can give you the fresh start. It is so good knowing not only does God take me as I am, but he never leaves me the same. I pray that God would continue to transform you because as God transforms you, as God transforms me, he continues to transform our church, which in turn, as we love the world around us, our town becomes a little bit of a, better. this is a great town. These are great communities, but they can be even better. They can be even better. And as God begins to transform this, He's gonna He's gonna use us to transform the world around us. In fact, He's sending us overseas to begin transforming the world over there as well. Rather, partner in the transformation that's already taking place. That's exciting. When I choose to serve God, the possibilities are simply endless. The adventure that he takes us on is just unbelievable. The places that we go, the things that we get to do, the lives and the miracles that we get to see happen because we surrender to the spirit of God is just unbelievable. The fact that God would choose to use me. Does anyone else want to be used by God? Anyone else want to be transformed by God? That sounds pretty good to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today, I thank you so much for your goodness once again. I thank you, O God, for your faithfulness. I thank you that, Lord, we don't have to be the people we once were. And God, today, as we enter into this series, Lord, as we talk about the things that identify us as a believer, God, I pray that your love above all other else, all other things O God, would be known in us. That when people see us, as they see us walking down the street, they would just see a glow over our face knowing that we have been changed by your love. God, may people experience your love through our work of our hands. May they know, God, that you are at work, that there is something special, that there's something happening here. And God, I pray that we would be willing to surrender to your will above our own. God, help us with the struggles of the flesh. Help us, Lord, as we take on this war, as we take on this challenge to do the things that you've called us to do. More importantly, help us be the people you've called us to be. Jesus, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would would certainly take on the image of Christ, that we would take on the loving image of God. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have Lord, for the hope that our world has, would you use us in Jesus' name, amen.